everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And we are here with the always entertaining Steve Donahue. <laughs> For those of you who are not familiar with Steve, you're probably wondering, why, why do we have this gentleman on and who is he? So do you want to introduce yourself, Steve, where people can find you online? Uh, well, my name is Steve Donahue. Like you said, I'm, I'm uh, a book critic. Uh, a book reviewer and i uh on a whim started a booktube channel about five years ago and so i'm now also a booktuber i used to say that with a little bit of imposter syndrome because there are so many people that do the edits and the fairy lights and the visuals and whatnot but i now say it confidently because i don't think anyone on booktube has made as many videos as i have so i have the experience at least to say i am also a booktuber (laughs) as to where to find me online well i I will write a book review for anybody whose check doesn't bounce. In fact, if your graphics are good enough, I'll do it without the check. <laughs> <laughs> I have a book reviewing fluidly. I will, I will go anywhere, especially to reach a new audience, a new audience of readers mm-hmm. for, for just a formal 800-word book review. Uh, I, I do that mm-hmm. often for the Washington Post. I do it extremely regularly for the Christian Science Monitor. I do it for the Boston Globe. Uh, I, I have a literary journal of my own open letters review that's online only it's totally free i do a lot of reviewing for that and also just recently i was hired by a very small newspaper in northern georgia called big canoe news which despite being very small is beautifully done this is one of the things you can do with with computers Mm -hmm. right is that you don't anymore need the money to have Mm -hmm. a great setup department in the back room if you've got somebody with graphics skill you can put out a great product. And Big Canoe News gave, I have two pages, 4,000 words every month in Big Canoe News, mm-hmm. where I am not just a regular contributor or oh, columnist, yeah. but the book session editor. So you can find me all over the place <laughs> online. <laughs> and in, in the real world. And you can get a copy of Big Canoe News yep. delivered to your door. <laughs> so were you already reviewing before you started youtube or did you do youtube first and then all of that kind of fell into line like how did that happen no i was i was already reviewing before i started booktube yeah and i was already reviewing before there was a booktube and i was already reviewing before there was a youtube (laughs) and i was already reviewing before there was an internet (laughs) and i was already reviewing before there were computers (laughs) with the only computers in the world okay so let's talk about it I, w- I was reviewing so books what, very, okay. very long Give us time. your journey into book reviewing. Oh. <laughs> Give us your journey into book reviewing. I was writing, I was writing op-eds. I was writing uh, little opinion pieces. The un- You know how you'll have the opinion page mm-hmm. of a newspaper, and it'll be the columns, but then there'll be those three little op-eds that don't have signatures. They're, they're just sort of the voice of the paper weighing in on the mm-hmm. issues of the day. I was writing those, excoriating all sorts of presidential administrations, all sorts of trivia, <laughs> political trivia <laughs> that nobody remembers anymore. <laughs> that, and and uh, I was in the newsroom every day uh, because I don't I don't know I don't know if if your listeners will know this. I am an extremely prolific writer, <laughs> extremely yes, yes. old school prolific. <laughs> In other words, if you come to me at 10 in the morning and you need 600 clean words of prose, in other words, you're an op-ed section editor and you don't have time 
to do multiple drafts back and forth with a writer. You just don't have time to do it, even though it's technically in your job description. If you are that op-ed section editor and you hand me a subject that needs a bit of research and polished prose and you need 600 words by four that afternoon, I can do that. <laughs> if you hand me that assignment at 10 in the morning and you need the same word count and you need finished prose at 600 words at 11 in the morning, I can do that as well. <laughs> I am the fastest writer wow. east of the Pecos. <laughs> And so I was in the newsroom all the time, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Those, those op-ed pieces, there was always need for them. Yeah. And I could write them with, in a way that removed the burden of work from my editor. <laughs> uh, and I got to know everybody in the newsroom, mm -hmm. including the art section editor. And uh, under the umbrella of his art section was book reviewing. And we always talked books. So mm -hmm. he knew that I loved to read and just one day suggested that I write a book review. And I did. And I loved it. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. I also loved, I have to say, oh my uh, gosh. getting out of writing op-eds, which is not good for your ulcers. <laughs> it's not good for writing. It's, it's, <laughs> it gets you worked up writing about politics. <laughs> All I can think about now is how grateful I am that I was not in the op-ed political writing business when 2016 happened in America. <laughs> I wouldn't be alive today. Yeah, yeah. I would have oh, just wow. worn myself out. <laughs> It, it turned out that book section editors also like that. They are the same way. They have an overburdened plate. They have a million, you know, mm -hmm. hats to wear. They can find a reviewer who can write mm -hmm. a clean, engaging review in very little time with no need for editorial oversight. They'll take it. <laughs> They'll absolutely take it. And not just yeah. at that one newspaper, but at any newspaper. Any newspaper that's taking outside mm -hmm. content will... And that's that's how this whole nightmare started. <laughs> but I stopped for a long time. I, I got I got this weird idea in my head that what I really wanted was to stop reviewing books and start talking about them with customers. So I left book reviewing okay. for a long time and became a retail bookseller. I don't know why I did that. Oh, I don't know why yeah. I thought I couldn't do both. I could have done both. Yeah, I was about to say, why not do both? I don't know. It's 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 one of those things where when you reach the ripe old age of 28, you look back and you say, I actually don't know why I made that dumb decision. Well, when that. looking back, it's yeah. obvious that I need not have. But I did. Yeah. I, for some reason, I just yeah. thought I had, I had to do all of one or all of the other. That it might have been maybe some sort mm -hmm. of professional conflict to be working at a bookstore and also reviewing <laughs> books. It isn't. I don't know why yeah. I thought it, sure. but I stopped for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> And then I came back. So before we get into being a bookseller, okay, what what's the time frame of like you're writing the book reviews for the paper? When are what what years are we talking? Scholars are divided on that subject. Was it the Progressive Era under President McKinley? Was it the 1930s? Was it the late 1950s? Scholars haven't come to any kind of agreement on that. One thing that they seem to know for sure from ring dating is that I was a bookseller for 25 years. That okay. much. Wow. Okay. Okay. So I think it's safe to say for scholars out there that there was no Instagram at yeah. the time. <laughs> there okay. was no Instagram. Okay. No. Take us back. What was book reviewing like before you had all this these other distractions? Yeah. Yeah, before yeah. social media. What like because now you can kind of gauge engagement. What yeah. was that like back when you were, you know, 
in the thick of it writing for a paper where you don't really know what the response is. Mm -hmm. Yes. Back then, uh, let's just hypothetically say the late 1960s, uh, although that <laughs> obviously can't be true because I'm really young and I have lots of black hair. I don't know. I think I think Sarah mentioned there's no visual to this. No, podcast. there's no visual. No, no. Visual. we should we should tell <laughs> no you one listeners will see that us. I'm really young. I have glossy black hair. It falls in uh, waterfall-like ringlets down my face. I'm brushing it aside <laughs> right now. Okay, I'm not really sure why you're laughing. <laughs> Did I accidentally How on say something? point you are about yourself. <laughs> But anyway, anyway, the point what I wanted to in answer to your question, there were two main differences. You mentioned engagement, and back then the only two ways you could measure engagement was sales and borrowings at libraries. Mm -hmm. Those were the only two ways. Okay. Okay. Because only one reader in a hundred thousand thought of writing a letter to your publisher. So your publisher mm -hmm. disregarded those letters because they knew that the letters they were getting were an infinitesimal fraction of the people out there. So not a sample. So you could just disregard it. You couldn't disregard librarians, mm -hmm. tell, head librarians telling you this book we can't keep on the shelf. You couldn't disregard that. And you couldn't disregard sales. So that was, those were, that was one mm -hmm. big difference is that engagement was very limited. And the other big difference is that when it came to... Uh, critical appraisal of a book there was only one avenue it was me it was me and my colleagues that was it mm -hmm. there wasn't anywhere else you could go there wasn't yeah. readers yeah. couldn't weigh in on a book there was nothing even remotely similar to reviews on amazon or goodreads nothing like that at all there mm -hmm. was a a priestly cast reviewers weighed in on a book mm -hmm. and that was it that was, that was it that was the only people who did I don't prefer that. Mm -hmm. I, I much prefer having thousands of people weigh in on a book. I think it's better for books, better for authors, better for the publishing industry. Yep. I just think it's better just in general. Uh, mm -hmm. But that priestly cast still exists, of course. Professional book reviewers still exist. And the rungs in that cast still exist. Because if you're writing for a very small newspaper with a very small readership, that's very different from, for instance, writing for the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. where where your review can move lots and lots of copies, not necessarily because of how good a reviewer you are, but because you're reaching a million people. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So how were you deciding what books to talk about? Were you keeping up with new releases back then, or what was that process like? Well, when, when we're talking about uh, professional book reviewing, where you're – you know, you're writing a book review for an editor. Mm -hmm. The editor is giving you your word count. The editor is presumably giving you your book. Okay. Uh, okay. When it comes yep. to something like that, in most cases, the editor decides. It's, it's not, it's not oh, the, wow. the freelance reviewer who's deciding at all. It's the, the editor runs the page, and the editor is mm -hmm. saying, here's a new release. I have a copy. I want it reviewed. Are you willing to review it? If you are, here you go. I've also mm -hmm. had editors at newspapers all across the American Midwest that don't exist anymore. Small town original newspapers are a dying thing. Uh, mm -hmm. But I, I also had editors who said, well, I want this book reviewed and I'm not asking you whether or not you want to review it. I'm telling you, review it or don't bother contacting me about anything. <laughs> just, just do it. I want 700 <laughs> words on this book. 
that was yeah. by far yeah. the norm, for instance, in the UK, all throughout the 19th century, all throughout mm. the early 20th century. It was the book review section editor was not just saying, I want this, will you do it? He's saying, I want this, do it, or you're out. You know, it was just, a, mm -hmm. it's only once, once time passes and maybe you're reviewed and your, your piece is run in a number of different venues, you gain a readership on your own. If you're good, you'll gain a readership on your own. Readers will say, okay, well, I read all the book reviews anyway, but I really like this guy's book review. So if he shows up in some other periodical, yeah. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to buy that periodical just to read him. Mm -hmm. Once you can demonstrate that that is true, well, then you'd get more choice in what you're going to read. And maybe even yeah. in the length. That the worst thing in the world. That's usually not the thing that gives. But maybe, yes. Like, for instance, at a place where, it's, where there's no competition, like in, for instance, The New Yorker, you would start out writing one mm -hmm. of their briefly noted reviews no signed work and only 200 words but if your 200 words stand out from everybody else's 200 words people are going to let the new yorker know that and then you get a chance at writing a signed book review in the back of the issue but a short one and if people like those short reviews then you will be given a longer review also signed and it, it just it just gradually builds up like that i mean by now i have i have a large audience of people that that follow my reviews wherever I go because <laughs> they just, they, they either, yeah. either yeah. they like my tone in my reviews or more importantly to me, they know they can trust my reviews. They've got good recommendations from me. That's the sort of thing mm -hmm. you can't rush and you can't fake. And I have an audience now that knows that they know that if I really praise a book, they're probably going to like it. And that's, <laughs> that, that is nice. That, that works really well. I don't know why I didn't think. Mm. I don't know why I thought I couldn't I do can't that while I was selling books. Two hundred words. What was that? <laughs> I know you, you were in the perfect spot. Yeah, <laughs> around books all day. I yeah. don't get it. I don't know why. <laughs> Instead, I had to reinvent the wheel. I can't imagine. The, yeah, I like. I do discussion posts for school, and they have to be three hundred words. I can't imagine a two hundred word book review. <laughs> Sometimes that's all the space there is. What do you is. say? Yeah. It's an yep. art form on its own. People always say to me, boy, it must be really hard to write a 1,700-word book review. And I always say to them, well, if you want really hard, try 200 words. Yeah. That is, that, it gets harder the lower the word count is. It's not easier that Golly. way. Um, but <laughs> a lot of times it absolutely cannot be argued. I worked in newspapers, submitted work to newspapers, was an assistant editor or arts editor or a book section editor at small newspapers where – You've got just so much space, and it is determined. It was a print newspaper, so it's not online. You can't expand it indefinitely. So you've got yeah. this page, and right now, on a Monday morning, it looks clear. It looks like it's all yours. But maybe on Wednesday, uh, the publisher of the newspaper gets approached or has lunch or has golf with some tractor salesman. Who thinks, well, you know, maybe I do want to give you $500 for a color ad in your newspaper. Got any room? Mm -hmm. What's the publisher going to say? He's not going to cut into the sports results. That's for sure. He doesn't read. Yeah. <laughs> so he's going to cut into the book section coverage. So all of a sudden, yeah. that clean page you had on a Monday is is now much smaller. <laughs> so it's necessity. You absolutely have to be able to write at any length. In fact, for a long time when I was starting sure. out, writers on of this kind of thing were taught 
to write their piece in a certain way so that the paragraphs, one editor of mine said, make the paragraphs watertight so that you can take it out. <laughs> and, and, and the paragraph above it and mm -hmm. below it will flow with each other. So you want to make the paragraphs watertight. Okay. And you also want to make them less important the lower down they are because I might need to cut this. And I'm not going to go back and forth with yeah. you on, mm -hmm. on sentences and particles and whatnot. In the 21st yeah. century, you couldn't do that. If you cut somebody's, a line of somebody's review, they'd sue you. <laughs> but in the old days, the editor would just say, I'm not going to go back and forth with you on this. So write this in a way that I can cut. And mm -hmm. boy, those instincts never go away. <laughs> what you learn to write that way, they never go away. Oh, neat. So you've always been able to just, like, one thing that, is a difference between Sarah and I. Sarah can just pick up, she'll say, I'm going to read these five books this week and she just reads them. Whereas I'm like, oh, well, I'm not really in the mood for this anymore. So was that something you were always able to do? Like, you know, especially yeah. once it became a professional thing, like your boss is coming to you, hey, you're reading this book and you're you're reviewing it. And you're like, shoot, I'm not even really in the mood for yeah. this book. No, I was that something you were able to do or did you have to train yourself? No, I'm absolutely not a mood reader. Mm -hmm. Reading is professional. I envy you. As people. much as anything I else. I envy you. It's, it's not, you absolutely yeah. can't be a mood reader. Well, you can be, but then you can't be a professional book reviewer. Because if your editor yeah. comes to you and says, you know, there's a subject that's been interesting me, gene splicing has been interesting me. First of all, you are not free to say, well, that's because you're a flighty suburban, you know, nitwit. <laughs> that's why it's been interesting to you. Because you saw a little article in Reader's Digest. <laughs> That shouldn't govern your book's coverage. You absolutely can't say that, <laughs> whether you think it or not. You absolutely can't say that. And if that, if you, if that editor says to you, this subject... For job me, security, okay? Yeah. <laughs> you can't do it. And if that editor says to you, I'm interested in this subject, and I notice in my mailroom, I have a book that's coming out in two months on this subject, I'd really like you to review it. If you if that editor is offering you you know one hundred and fifty dollars or four hundred dollars or seven hundred dollars and you say I'm not really interested in that subject, that editor will very politely say, okay, well, no, I don't want you to write about something you're not interested in. And in their mind, they'll say this person is not interested in anything. You'll never get another offer on any book. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so you can't do it. Yeah. It's ab you absolutely yeah. can't do it. You well, I imagine people do now. I have, as you may have detected, I have a bugaboo about the 21st century <laughs> and, and, and unearned <laughs> success. I have a real bugaboo with young people who mm -hmm. think they're owed success. That that bug that bothers me. But talking about the old days, once upon a time, mm -hmm. if you said something like that, the editor would be very polite about it. You'd never hear yeah. from them again. And so you couldn't do it. Wow. So, yeah. So I, yeah. I, I learned pretty That's quickly fair. not to indulge in mood. I indulge in, in mood sometimes for pleasure reading, definitely, where mm -hmm. I will say, you know, I, I have this afternoon totally free to read whatever I want. I've read up on new releases, so I don't need to do that. What do I feel like reading? Sure. Then it'll be, you know, yeah. a vintage science fiction novel or a romance novel or whatever. But yeah, I, you learn to control that. When your livelihood's on the line, you learn to control that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so do you feel like you so do you read more new releases you think than backlist oh, yeah. titles yeah about 80 percent new releases wow now, just to keep up just wow. to keep up with it i started it with more than 50 percent, but nowhere near 80 percent, just because it was the job requirement mm -hmm. but i found that i love it you know you if you shift your reading something like that your tastes follow along so i i found that i love it now i don't i wouldn't want that percentage to change <laughs> i wouldn't want it to go back down <laughs> 
Plus, I want to be ready. <laughs> you know, I want to know what's coming out. I want to be ready to write about yeah. it. Yeah. Especially now, now that I'm the country's smallest book section editor. <laughs> it's all even more important. Because <laughs> the Big Canoe is not an art, it's not the art section. That's not what I, what I was given control over. I was given an actual dedicated book section. Mm -hmm. And that that is rare. Uh, I've almost never done that. So yeah, I feel it, it sort of behooves me to know what's coming out. Plus, you know, I, I'm perfectly willing to admit that a lot of it is dictated by practicality. If you're if you read seventy mm percent -hmm. backlist now, and then suddenly you found that every time you open your front door, there's there are three or four front list new release titles there for free. I bet your reading would change. <laughs> I, I bet you would start to read eighty percent <laughs> showing up on your doorstep, and they do, and they have for a long time. So, uh, yeah. that I'm sure that's had a, a, a an element in this whole thing. <laughs> Although mm -hmm. even then. Even then, the new release market is full of reissues, full of reprints. Yes. The, so yeah. You know, yeah. even if you want to read backwards yeah. stuff, you still have plenty of opportunity to do it. I just learned yesterday that the science fiction novels of Gene Wolfe, a great science fiction author who I knew, are being reprinted in a lovely edition. One in May and one in June. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sign me up. That's that's fantastic. Don't need to go to a used bookstore <laughs> to, to get those. They just, they'll come yep. to me. Now, do you review a lot of romance? Like, I, I know from watching your channel that you do occasionally get some of them from publishers and such, but do you review them anywhere or just on open letters? I talk about them. I, I don't review them on open letters as much as I should. Mm. I talk about them on BookTube. Yes. I hold yeah. them up. I read the plot line. I talk about the mm -hmm. author if I really like them, talk mm -hmm. about their strengths and where why you would go to this book for you know, a certain author, Samantha James or whatever, mm -hmm. why would you go to their book? Mm -hmm. uh, but written reviews, I tend not to do. I, yeah. I don't think that the open letters review audience cares about romances. That's fair. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that my audience in Northern Georgia doesn't care about them either. <laughs> and, and that, that you have to know your true. audience, right? No, you do. You do. Shouldn't. But I have to pay attention to that. I can't, just because I think it shouldn't be true doesn't mean I can't ignore it. Mm -hmm. I would love to write for, what was it? Romantic Times? Romantic Times used to have a magazine, yes. Yeah. And then yep. Romantic Times magazine changed to like Romantic Times Book Club or something like that. It's all online magazine now. Production. Correct. Yeah, it's all online now. Okay. Yep. But they still run a huge number of short reviews. Don't they? Yeah. I haven't checked. Yes, they do. Forever. I would love to write for them. Oh my. I would love to write. I would love to have a venue for reviewing romance novels mm -hmm. because I read a bunch of new ones every month. Far more than I get on my yep. channel. I, I also go out to bookstores and just get them. And I would love to review them. Mm -hmm. But I, like I mentioned, I'm just this old school dinosaur. I need an audience. And I don't want to convert yep. the audience, I want it to already be there. So, I just, I, right now, I don't have access to a to a review-reading romance audience, and I wish I did. I really do. I should I should look up yeah. the Romantic Times online and see if they take reviewers. I don't even know if they do. Submissions. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. They might, if I can say, if I can go to them and say, I would like to review romances for you, what, do you do that? Mm -hmm. Or is it by invitation only? 
Yeah. Right now, no. The only yeah. attention, the only attention that I give them is on my BookTube channel, which feels really bad considering mm -hmm. how much enjoyment they give me. Well, not just that, but I mean, I know Brie can attest to this as well, and you um, that romance is the biggest seller in genre fiction, period, full yeah. stop. But yet you open any newspaper, any magazine, and look at the book review section, and you do not yeah, see totally romance. Agree. Yeah. And like, yeah. you'll see the totally newest agree. mystery or the newest, you know, John Grisham or what have you, but you never see the new Eloisa James. And it's, it's, yeah. I don't know why. And, and I think that's part of what makes romance seem like, oh, it's just fluff. No one cares. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I firmly believe that in the world of reading, snobbery comes from insecurity. Mm -hmm. And I firmly believe that a lot of readers are insecure. A large number of them are insecure. They think, mm -hmm. you know, maybe I'm not doing this right. Or maybe, maybe they had the misfortune of being taught in schools by other snobs and have just caught the insecurity from them like a virus. But one way or another, I think it's very comforting to reading insecurity to have a category of books you can denigrate. That's mm -hmm. very comforting to say, you know, well, I have my likes and dislikes. I'm not 100% sure about them, but at least I can get on the bandwagon of dumping snobbery on this group over here. <laughs> I think mm -hmm. that's where it comes from. I think it comes from insecurity. Because if you know anything about yeah. the genre of romance, it's not just that it's, that it's been the best-selling genre for 150 years. If you know anything about these authors... Mm -hmm. How can you, how, if you know anything about the women who write these books, you can't write them off as just flighty, talentless things. They're, they're the biggest workhorses in the genre. They, and they care about craft, and they know when they're not doing a good job, they're their own harshest critics. They have a work ethic that mm -hmm. the rest of the reading world could only look at in envy. They, they, I, the more you know about it, the less you can be snobbish. <laughs> so, so people just don't know about it. Yep. And they also yep. don't want to know about it. Yep. Because they want that the that sop to their insecurity, they want to be able to to denigrate at least something, <laughs> and don't see where that comes from. Mm -hmm. You're you're limiting yourself. <laughs> I think about all the joy I've got from romance novels over the decades. I, to think of, of giving that up just to feel a little better about you know somebody else's opinion of me as a reader. <laughs> Although it wasn't always true. Once upon a time, I had that. Problem. Once upon a time, I was just as snobbish yeah. as I'm describing. That it was a romance reader who who made me re revisit that, who, who got that away, got me out of that mindset. Otherwise, I might still be in it. So what happened? Yeah, she was a coworker. How of mine. did we journey into what was your romance, romance origin story? <laughs> yeah, she was a coworker of mine at a bookstore, and I would routinely make snobbish, dismissive mm -hmm. comments about you know bodice rippers, Fabio books, that sort of thing. I'd routinely mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. And at the same time that I was doing that, she and I were talking about all sorts of other things, social issues, the politics of the day, Jane Austen, the Brontes. We talked about all of these things, cracking each other up, razor sharp, uh, sort of old, old school Hollywood repartee back and forth with each other, zinging each other so that the staff half the time didn't know if we were at each other's throats. They had no idea how to take it. They just thought it was really funny. <laughs> or if it was fun. That went on for about a year. And then one day she just calmly said to me, okay, well, you know me and you know I love these books. How do you reconcile those two things? 
And I couldn't. <laughs> I absolutely couldn't. I couldn't <laughs> reconcile what I knew about her with the snobbish reduction that I had held on to about romance novels. So I said, well, <laughs> I started reading them. And <laughs> that's all it took. That's all it took was, was to read them without that snobby. Was to say, all right, well, I know you as a person yeah. and I can't dismiss you as a person. And you love this stuff. Mm -hmm. She also taught me a lot of of really important things, you know, true of any genre fiction, especially genre fiction operates by rules. You mm -hmm. cannot go into it disregarding those rules. You just can't do it. Yeah. You can, but you'll be an idiot. It'd be it'd be dumb to do mm -hmm. that. Romance has rules. <laughs> it has genre. Mm -hmm. What's the word I want? Uh, not restrictions, but there's a form to it. There are assumptions to it. And yeah, no, it's, there's like it's a formulate as its beats. Yeah, a conventions. That's the word I'm thinking of. Conventions. There are conventions to the yeah. genre. If you don't honor that, mm -hmm. then you, yeah, it's not going to mm -hmm. get to you. And I never did. I'm, and until I, I this this coworker told me there's a way to do this, and I said, well, okay, if there's a special way yeah. to read it, then aren't you saying that it's a struggling inferior genre? And she's the one who first pointed out to me, well, okay, would you say the same thing about a Petrarchan sonnet? And I went, what? <laughs> and she said, don't they have conventions? <laughs> Not just anything is a Petrarchan sonnet. It has mm -hmm. conventions. And when you read them, you know they are respecting those conventions. Don't you do that? And I said, <laughs> but she was right. She was absolutely right. <laughs> I don't. I don't go to, for instance, I would. I would never go to Thomas Mallory. I would never go to Le Morte d'Arthur and expect devotional cycles, like I would get from, you know, a mm -hmm. Saint Benedict. I, I go to them for what they are. Mm -hmm. I know what their conventions are. Romance is the same way. She also pointed out to me, "Aren't you a big mm -hmm. science fiction fan?" <laughs> and I was. And what is science fiction if it's not conventions? Of course, genres are ruled by conventions. If you don't respect that. Mm -hmm. If you don't, in other words, yep. learn how to read the genre, then you'll be misreading it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Simple as that. Once I realized that, yep. then I had I had very little trouble <laughs> getting into romances. Because once you realize <laughs> that, there's nothing anymore between you and the ladies writing these things. And they are great storytellers. They know exactly what they're doing. If you don't resist them, their mm -hmm. work will work on you. <laughs> as I know, I'm preaching to the converted here. Yeah. But, but that was my origin story. Was that I used to watch. <laughs> we would get new romances every week. Every month we would get the new category romances. And you had to just get rid of all the old ones. Yeah. Put, put all the new ones in their place. Face them all out. Put them all together. And I used to watch. Mm -hmm. I knew perfectly well that the, the category romance fans would be there on the morning that the category romances came out, they would be in the store. They, that would be the only time of the month that I would see them. Mm -hmm. It would be then. And it, it was, they <laughs> the the there were no men. <laughs> there, were no, there were no men in that group, but the women spanned the spectrum. There would be, there'd be mm -hmm. young readers. There'd be, you know, housewives who brought in their children. There would be older, older women who grew up on Betty Neal's. And who love these mm -hmm. things, but you know, looking back, it breaks my heart because I can see them in my mind's eye. I can see them coming in on those days, and they had a kind of wary defensiveness to them that they absolutely should not have had. It shouldn't have been that society and other mm -hmm. readers did that to them. That they felt a little bit 
yeah. wary, maybe even a little bit embarrassed to, to know the day when the category romance has changed and to be there because they're eager to read it. <laughs> if you're eager to read, no one should be making you feel mm -hmm. ashamed. No one should ever make a reader have the kind of guarded body language that I saw in those women when the category romances shifted over during the month. Yeah. I look back yeah. and it makes me furious. It makes me furious to ashamed to think that I might have been part of that. Part of the of what made them act mm -hmm. that way. Certainly I had conversations with those people once I saw the light, so to speak. The conversations I had with those readers were <laughs> fantastic. Just fantastic. Mm -hmm. I, I swear oh, at the beginning awesome. a lot, some of them probably thought that it was a joke they probably thought it was a Trojan horse when I started asking them questions <laughs> like is this person good or what about this they probably thought I was leading them on but once they realized that I just wanted to know oh my <laughs> the conversations we had were great just great and I started to read romantic times as well <laughs> see the feature articles mm -hmm. see all of the, the book reviews and whatnot. Uh I'm gonna to have to remember to look into that. I would love a romance audience. I just have a lot. Yeah. I have a lot of experience now in reading a lot of these authors. I would love to to talk about these books in print. I know because I'm such a dinosaur. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem real to me <laughs> unless I'm writing. <laughs> but that was that was but my your romance audience. Historical. And you love the historicals. They're your favorite, right? Yeah, historicals are my favorite. Yeah. I'm, and mostly Regency historicals, and, and, and even the old fashioned, the old yeah, signets, Avon and Eager yep. Regency romances. Those those are my absolute favorites. They are the ones that are hewing closest to Jane Austen. They're the ones that are mm -hmm. you know, you, there's no sex in them. There's no marriage in them. Mm -hmm. There's only the fire of the courtship, and because those writers didn't have the, the, because one of their conventions was that they weren't going to give you racy sex scenes or anything like that, anything explicit at all, because they knew that was one of their conventions, it forced them to be better at the conventions they did have. The dialogue was sharper. The historical accuracy was greater. Mm -hmm. the, the descriptions were better, more more atmospheric. So I fell in love with those. I love I love the modern regions, <laughs> the ones where on the cover everybody's naked. <laughs> even even the butler doesn't have any clothes. <laughs> I love those modern regions. Not a naked but, butler. <laughs> but my real my heart really the first love was those older regencies that I don't think are done anymore. Mm -hmm. Even no. some of the Harlequin no. historical regencies that come out in the Harlequin category line. Even some, even those seem a lot more suggestive to me, a lot more explicit mm -hmm. than the earlier ones. I, I that they kind are. of surprised me. It, am I right about that? I, I could swear I remember modern Harlequin romances, historical romances in the category, not not just the Harlequin historicals, the ones with the photo covers. Yeah. I could swear that mm -hmm. I've read some of those in the last two years that did have sex scenes. Am I wrong about that? Oh, I even the even categories? the older ones. No, yeah. No, the older ones do too, Steve. Like if you look back to when the historical line started, their their books originally the covers look like any other historical you'd pick up on the shelf. They look like bodice rippers, and they did have a steam factor to them. The the historicals have always had a steam factor to them. Mm. I think it's all depending on the author, though, whether you know the level of steam if they want to write it or not. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And does, yeah. does Harlequin yeah. allow them a certain latitude if an author wants to mm -hmm. do that? Correct. Like if you, like we yeah. talked earlier about the, uh, the Write for Harlequin website, I think on there it will tell you what level of steam oh, they, they are specify? willing to. They do specify, yes, what you're yeah. allowed to do. And it so, says that they are looking they... for more steamier regencies. It says that on their Correct. On the website. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. I wish they still had because I thought they would be clean. I don't know why. I thought they would be clean. I was like, oh, we I did too. But I miss those those covers. I miss their old design. The Harlequin yeah. Historicals used to have original artwork on the cover, yes. an original step back, and an additional yeah. original picture on the back. Yes, it was just a lovely production, and they don't. I guess it's cost. Maybe that's very expensive to do, but they don't do that anymore. The thing was, though, is that they didn't look like category because you would look at those no, and no. not know that they were category, whereas now right. they really want to make sure you know what you're getting, what you're picking up. Right. Right. Yes. I in fact, back in those bookstore days with those Harlequin historicals, we got four of them a month. Mm -hmm. And those were the only ones where the ladies who came in and wanted the new historicals or wanted the new categories in all sorts of categories. Those were the only ones where the ladies would say, boy, I wish you could just shelve these in the section. Now that it's done mm -hmm. being in the category, in the Harlequin display, I wish you could just take these historicals and put them in the section in alphabetical order and just keep it as an item of backstop. Mm -hmm. We absolutely were not allowed to do that. But that was the only one that ever anybody ever wanted was, the, yeah, they, that it looked like they'd been packaged to be just standalone books. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is why I was kind of surprised. We're I got seeing a bunch that of with those, those Love Inspireds, right? Yeah. It sounds like we're kind of seeing what Steve is talking about with the the love inspired stuff that's going on. I remember I I sent you a picture of a, a book at Walmart, and I'm like, look, it's not even with the other categories. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Is that also why I noticed in that in that selection of historicals that somebody sent me that there were series? Yes. Is that new? That is also no. a, a non categorical thing. It seems to me. No, that's been around. That's been around really? forever, uh, a series within a series. Yeah, so you've got the historical line. So an author might write for the historical line, but they have a mini series within that line. So it's, it's oh, wow. it, I, I, it always confuses people, but it's a series within a series, if you will. And that has to be generated by customer feedback, right? Harlequin yes. would never greenlight a series if they didn't before they knew that it was popular. Well, after speaking to a lot of authors now, right, Brie, we found out a lot about um, series and series Bibles and stuff. There's a there's um, a mini series within the special edition line called The Fortunes of Texas, and they literally have a Bible and they will go to their writers and say, hey, we're producing this six books, six book mini series. Do you want to write one of the books? And they are oh, given really? a Bible. Yes. Oh, and they wow. are told this is the backstory. This is blah, blah, blah. And they're delightful. They're absolutely delightful. And I mean, for wow. a writer, like you were saying about having to write like 200 words. We've heard that a lot now from category writers, right, Brie? That, yeah. you know, it's more difficult to write category because you need to stay within that 225 pages. Yeah. And oh, you wow. have to hit certain beats. It's harder to write than it would be a standalone. And it's a great introduction for writers to write these books. To discipline. Yes, to learn how to write. Yes. You have mm -hmm. to learn how to do that. I yep. had a friend who wrote uh, uh, Star Trek novels. 
back when there were four Star Trek series, when there were three Star Trek series on air every week, when you had Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Discover, or Voyager, and The Next Generation were all airing at the same time. And there were four or five books every month. Mm -hmm. And they had a Bible too. This, this friend mm -hmm. was presented with a Bible. Here you go. Here is, mm -hmm. and it was enormous. He, he, used, he used to joke to me that, yeah, I've got a new Star Trek novel coming out next month, and I think about 20% of it will be my writing. <laughs> and all the rest of it is, is just the Bible. And I think, I think that eventually the, the powers that be at Paramount realized, well, okay, we can narrow that 20% down. Why are we paying these schmucks when we can just generate this stuff on our own? <laughs> but how much, how much leeway so, does, okay, the, does the Bible break... give to the writers? They... It sounds like there's still tons of. Oh no, there's still just tons like, of. Hey, we want to do a series, mm -hmm. like we want it to be a small town romance set in Texas, and yeah, we okay. want this to happen to one of the characters, and then you know, this is the, the overarching is plot line, kind of an idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the writer they like decide to divorce it. a couple who have appeared in earlier novels happily married. Well, you'd have to and talk have... to the other writers, like if they wrote that, you know, mm -hmm. like you. They also often form like little mm -hmm. Facebook groups with all the like the six oh. authors to converse and say, oh, this is what's going to happen to old Uncle Harry or, you know, whatever. Down right? to the the detail of like, would your would your heroine, re, would she wear this lipstick color? Yeah, really? Yeah. I'm writing that in this book. Yeah. But I don't want to put that in there if you wouldn't have, yeah. if it wouldn't have been okay in your book. So it's like research and writing at the same it's time. It's amazing. Wow. It just, in, in, it's so interesting to me. Wow. <laughs> well, research, writing, and also fellowship. Yeah, that, yeah. that is great. That doesn't happen in most parts of the mm -hmm. writing world. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But um, so, can I ask you a bookseller question? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay, I think I get the gist of of shelf space. Can but can you break down in layman's? But I'm kind of a nerd about it. Terms about what that means, and I mean we know for category they only are out a month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like I, I go to Barnes and Noble, and like I was there a couple of days ago. They still have books from March on yes. the shelf. Yeah. So can you explain how does this work? How how did because then I've heard like you have to get rid of them, you got to rip off the cover, and I'm right. like, why can't we just donate them to right. like women's prisons or something? It's so a totally antiquated it? system just it's totally okay. wasteful and antiquated and dumb and counter capitalist and a million other things the book section the book world just in general but mass market paperbacks in particular yeah you you strip off the cover because the publisher only needs the barcode to determine the unsold okay. items and then you can just junk the rest of them. <laughs> and the reason that you have only a limited amount of time to strip off that cover and send it back is because it's within that limit of time that you can get your money back for the shipment that mm. you receive. That okay. is so insane. That is just insane. Who does that? How? Uh, what mm -hmm. kind of a working business model is that? One way or another, though, uh, the reason why you still see older uh, category romances in your local bookstore is because your local bookstore has six employees, and most of them are working in the cafe. So the bookstore is just taking a hit on those little <laughs> things. The window for when those could be returned for money for reimbursement from the publisher has closed. They're taking a hit. And the reason they're doing it is mm -hmm. because they don't have staff. They just don't have any staff. Fair. That, that, that has nothing to do with the, the publisher. The manpower That's to take them off, ship them. Right. You need somebody yeah. to do okay. that. Wow. It, when, when I was getting a whole mm -hmm. bay of category romances, so I was getting 
all of the categories for Harlequin. I was getting the Avon and the Zebra all on the same day. When I was getting those, once my conversion was complete and I was actually doing that section, I wasn't just reading the books. I was actually doing the section because nobody else wanted to. <laughs> once I was doing that, swapping out those category romances back in the heyday took a whole morning to do. And mm -hmm. no one, no bookstore can do that anymore. No bookstore has the staff to do that anymore. At least no chain bookstore does. And it's been my experience, maybe I'm wrong about this, That's but it's been my experience that the chain bookstores are the places that get the category romances. The indie, the indie bookstores don't seem to get them at all. I don't oh, yeah, know. No. Maybe that's I, not I right. I think we have maybe like three indie stores here, and I haven't seen category. Yeah, you don't. Well, even in the it's Barnes the, and Noble, Walmart, and Target for me. Yeah, and even there, you don't often get all of them. If you, uh, though, I mm -hmm. I often right, think no, when I yeah. go into a Barnes and Noble, I often think about those ladies who used to come into my store every month. You know, they might have been guarded. They might have not wanted to be laughed at. But at least they knew they were going to see everything that was coming out that month. And then once once I converted yep. and they knew that they had this bookseller, they used to come in and say, is Steve here today? Because they, they wanted to know. Yeah. <laughs> they, well, they knew that there were. And also, I, I don't fit the type, right? I, if, if you just look at me, then you're going to think this is going to be the guy who's going to be quickest to judge and to look down. If, mm -hmm. if you if you just look at me, that's what you're going to think. Or if you hear me talk about Dante or Chaucer, mm -hmm. you're immediately going to think, okay, well, he's definitely going to laugh at me if I tell him that I read Joanna Lindsay and or or Kathleen mm -hmm. Woodowis. And these ladies thought that at first, but once mm -hmm. they realized that wasn't true, oh my god, we had the firmest of friendships. <laughs> it was wonderful. But at least they knew that. So did you read? So okay. Yeah. What did you think of Johanna Lindsay and Kathleen Woodowis? Those Kathleen are huge Woodowis is the names. one yes. that won me over. That the, the co-worker of mine said, well, I, I said, where should I begin? It's all these different things. And she said, you should begin with Kathleen Woodowis. And she mm -hmm. was absolutely right. <laughs> she, she was absolutely right. It was from her that I went back to Georgette Heyer. Mm -hmm. and, and Georgette Heyer is about as close as you can mm. come to Jane Austen. And that, that forms a natural progression. And it yeah. worked. Once all you need is something to, to get you used to it. Once I was used to it, then I was able to yeah. go anywhere. I was able to go to to people doing all kinds of things, you know? Like, like Samantha James was mm -hmm. more racy. She was more suggestive. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to mm -hmm. think. The, of course, there's, there's Beverly Jenkins, but there was also another writer who also brought in social issues, actual historical social issues, so that it wasn't just a, a complete fantasy. Mm -hmm. That took some getting used to as well. It was there was the great Beverly Jenkins, but there was one other person too. I don't think writes anymore. I'm trying to remember what her name was. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, well, one way or another, I I mm -hmm. uh, I had to graduate into those into those things and to get I had to, I had to do little <laughs> stepping stones from canonical literature. You know, in the progression mm -hmm. I, that I believe the genre took. I think that's where ro ro Regency romances, just category romances in general. I think that's where they come from. They, they come from these authors mm -hmm. reading more canonical work and wanting to write their own. Uh, yeah. But, but now I go to the Barnes and there's one Barnes and Noble in Boston, and they have some category romances, but they don't get them all. And I know that, they and I think about those ladies yeah. when I go in and look at that little that measly little shelf, no face outs. I think, well, those ladies would be out of. Yeah. They're all dead by now. 
But I think they'd be totally out of luck if they wanted to. I guess the response um, to that would be that everything moved online, right? So in a yeah. way, you're maybe not. That is so interesting because hearing hearing you say that, Steve, I'm like, I never, when I go to Barnes and Noble, you do only see the spines. Oh, and yes. then the they're rest of the romance people. section, yeah. everything is face out. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, no, um, I know we have um, Presents, Desire, Love Inspired, yep. Love Inspired, Suspense, yep. Intrigue, yep. and Romantic Suspense. Yep. That's all I see in Barnes & Noble. Mm -hmm. If At Walmart, sometimes I will see heartwarming. Occasionally. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. But the historicals well, you know, are only available again, online. Wow. See, I know I'm speaking to the converted, but allow me to... Uh, to old man yell for just a minute about that reality <laughs> because we are talking about the best-selling books in the book market. It is mm -hmm. shameful. The dedicated readers of these books have to go scouting all over town just to see what's out and new. That is shameful. Absolutely mm -hmm. shameful. And mm -hmm. it's pure snobbery. It would be different if this was a niche that nobody bought, but this would be sales for these venues, sales for these stores. Mm -hmm that they are intentionally disregarding because it's it's not Jonathan Franzen. That is just infuriating. Infuriating. It's money they're turning away. They're actually spending money on their snobbery. That is just infuriating. It's made it worse to hear, that the, to hear the two of you also have to hair all over town just to get everything you want, unless you go online. That, oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me The one that all. surprised me, and I don't know... Yep. And I don't know if this has changed, but this was a number of years ago. I'm not going to name the store. It's a very well-known indie bookstore that deals in romance. I have seen that they've stated they do not sell Harlequins. And I'm like, how? How can you possibly, you know, not sell well, okay, Harlequins? Okay, but did, when they said that, did they rationalize it? Did they try to give a reason? They just said no. Because I wanted to go to this. I jokingly said to my husband, oh, if we ever make it down to the U.S., I want to go here you know, because of this reason. And then I was looking more on their website and somewhere on their website, it lists like we sell this, that, and the other thing. Oh, but please note, we don't sell Harlequins, but supposedly they have a used book section that they will sell them, but not any new releases. So I don't know. Again, that was years ago. I don't know if it's changed. So. Well, what fascinated me when, when we talked to the editor from Harlequin historicals, mm -hmm. I guess it, it put it into perspective for me, like we think so North American and to learn that historicals weren't selling in the store. So mm -hmm. do you remember Steve from your experience of being a bookseller? If do you remember kind of the slow progression of like people not coming to get those as much, or do you I think you were already out of the career? Okay. No, I, I don't remember. Sarah mentioned to me earlier today that, that historicals don't sell well in the U.S. And I don't I must have got out of book selling before that happened, mm. before that downward trend happened, because they they vanished. Mm -hmm. Same with everything else. Uh, the, the yeah, one, I mean, I know the, historicals a huge genre, but I think it's it, I think it's the category. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, just being online in general, like on watching YouTube and, you know, active on Instagram, people are catching on to them now, but they're hauling older stuff. Mm -hmm. It's, it's been kind of a slow progress of getting people to actually like keep up with what's coming yeah. up now. You yeah. Know? It's kind of strange. I mean, the, the Booker prize is six deep in historical fiction. 
it is a popular genre. I don't I don't mm -hmm. understand why that would be the case, but it it sold steadily. When I when I used to put these things out, when I used to face out all of these different different subcategories, everything sold steadily until Harlequin Blaze. Harlequin Blaze did not sell steadily. It evaporated. <laughs> I know, and everybody loves it. <laughs> they would be gone in 30 seconds. In 30 seconds. Yeah. In fact, some of the little gray-haired old ladies who used to come in and talk to me endlessly about just the ordinary mm -hmm. Harlequin romance. The They'd just, like slide them on the counter. Here's they, they don't say anything. They'd talk to me about Betty Neils. <laughs> They'd talk to me about all of these, these standard yeah, yeah. Harlequin romances. And then they would fill their cart with blazes and say, don't tell anybody. <laughs> don't tell my husband. Don't tell my grandkids. I, there's, I had more than one lady say, don't tell my grandkids that I'm getting all of these, but they're so good. I would say, your secret Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> but I have I to say, that is one of my gripes. That's what. Yes. That's a gripe of mine because... I know Sarah loves, she loves Blaze. I'm a fan of Dare, line. which I feel like is what kind of a Dare replacement. But there, I, I feel like there are some differences, right? Like mm -hmm. Blaze, they just felt different. Yep. But now Dare is going away as well. Mm -hmm. And it's just like this idea that like the lines that kind of, the, where the sex kind of sold the, the, the books have gone away. Mm -hmm. And there's more emphasis on not as steamy or things and i just think as a reader that's not really fair yeah why is see... that what is the I don't, reason I don't... behind that mm -hmm. is it that it feels that's what we're trying to research and find out <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do publishers feel like that's objectification or something i don't know i mean and no sh like i love the inspirational romances mm -hmm. i do right they're enjoyable but I also think there's something empowering for women to pick up these novels where they know, okay, there's going to be some sex on the page. And mm -hmm. like, you know, times have changed. Consent's handled a lot better. Yep. Right. Like there's something like really empowering about picking up th those books right. as well. And it's, it just sucks to see them constantly Gone. pushed away. Yeah. And, and also more let's, let's beefing up of other areas. There's never been a Dare or a Blaze novel ever written that didn't end with love. Mm -hmm. So it's not, right. it's not like it's the, the sole point of the thing. I, no. I don't get that at all. This, this weird 21st century Puritanism, it just drives me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will confess that uh, the Harlequin Blaze series was my first experience with cover buys. <laughs> really? I can't imagine why, I Steve. Not, when we got new Harlequin Blaze novels, I did not need to flip them over and read the plot summary. <laughs> Did not need to do you just read them. I and, love and that. None of the ladies that I sold these things to ever read the plot summaries either. <laughs> so, so yeah. They would. <laughs> I'm they would so jealous. I wish I could have had that books. experience. Oh, what's this like? Yeah. Oh, is it an in-law? Does this take place in Wisconsin? They'd be studying the back of the book on all the other imprints. But the Harlequin Blaze? No. Yeah. <laughs> no just, just put that no, in my just basket. Add to cart. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I faced the minute I Don't had tell my, my awakening, I faced the same snobbery from people in the bookstore, people who knew me. Mm -hmm. It was just mind boggling. I had a manager once say to me, mm -hmm. Don't tell me you read this stuff. So that's what kind of a reader you are. And I actually stopped him mm -hmm. and said, um, 
you've worked with me for three years. I haven't, I haven't changed the past. You know what kind of a reader I am. What is you're so eager to dismiss these, so eager to be snobbish about it, that you're going to say this about somebody that you know reads history and biography and all sorts of other things too. That he actually, he actually said, so mm -hmm. that's the kind of a reader you are. Couldn't believe it. Except I did believe it. Wow. I had to eat crow with the coworker who had, who had turned me on to romances in the first place because she said, imagine how frustrating this is for me. I'm a, a college-educated mm -hmm. yeah. uh, woman. Mm -hmm. I'm a, a wide reader. I'm also a writer. Imagine how frustrating it is for me mm -hmm. that if somebody knows I read these books, they immediately judge no matter what else they know about me. How infuriating. And I felt it. Yep. Coworkers, did, they, the coworkers turned around and did it to me. I had one coworker say, mm -hmm. saw me reading one of those things in the break room, uh, a Harlequin uh, historical, I think it was, had, saw me reading one of those things in the break room and said, I thought you liked Homer. <laughs> like one cancels the other out. I, I can't like both. Yeah. No. I said, I do. Yeah. I do like I can't them. like both. I like them both. The old, uh, but mm -hmm. I don't go to Homer for ray guns. Mm -hmm. All of reading is learning the rules. <laughs> All of it. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't go to Homer for science fiction. I don't go to science fiction for epic verse. Mm -hmm. I don't go to modern contemporary literary fiction for literary quality. I couldn't resist. <laughs> I, I, I promise to be good. I, I want to come back on the podcast, so I promise to be good. I just had to get in one jab. That's all. I don't go to modern literary fiction for, for coherent sentences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not a big fan, but that's that's okay. Well, this is not a, a modern literary fiction podcast. If it were a modern yeah. literary fiction podcast, then we would all have goatees, wouldn't we? Well, none of us do. <laughs> Let's talk about real books instead. And you know, my conversion was it was well underway, and then that friend of mine on the staff told me to go to a romance convention. And there was one in Boston, mm. and I went and had a blast. Oh, my God. I'm, I would be mm. so sad if the pandemic stops those things from coming back. I had a blast. The first one, I was just a fanboy. The second one, I, I was actually talking to authors, and they, those ladies were so wonderful. Mm. If you knew about their books, if yep. you could talk passionately about their books, they were happy to talk with you until the cows came home. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, yeah. those, if, mm -hmm. the, if it was a small convention, sometimes those conversations would spill across the street to the bar when the convention hours were over. And those were great. <laughs> those were great times. Although, uh, I should probably point out for your listeners, don't try to match those ladies drink for drink. <laughs> just, just don't try to do that. <laughs> it's seriously dangerous for you to do that. They work hard. I believe the phrase is they work hard and they play hard. <laughs> so, so don't, don't try to yep, do that. I Better will. just yep. to the book. Yep. But I have a question about from all these people you're talking to in Harlequin. When you talk to these, oh, I have a question. What would it take for Harlequin to create a new line of category romances? What kind of thought goes into that? Do they weigh a marketplace? Do they, That's a good do they talk to, you know, expert romance readers? Do they do all sorts of audience polling? What if they wanted to come up with a category romance that was science fiction? We have fiction? no idea. A, a sci-fi category oh. romance. Or Rhea said, so like, par another paranormal line. Right. 
Right, they do. They do paranormal and that verges into fantasy. But what if they? What if they wanted a line specifically for science fiction? You know, they'd have submissions for such a thing. Mm-hmm. What kind? What yeah. process would they go through to test whether or not it was viable? I don't I mean, know. Do we know? I don't know. That's what we're trying to find out. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're hoping to find You out. know, the, the, the idea behind why some lines go away, why they bring new ones out, you know, what the rationale behind it is. Yeah. I always wonder, uh, when, like, for instance, when a line goes away, I wonder, did it go away because they stopped getting good submissions or because there, there was no feedback, there were no sales? I have to think, I have to think it's the sales. Because they would get, they must get endless submissions for everything. But the thing with the sales is, as you just said it yourself, the Blaze line was huge. Everyone I talked to who's ever read the Blaze line, me included, loved it. So what happened? Where did it go? Why did it go away? Did they, I think, I think they got rid of it in favor of the Dare line, which was just pushing the envelope that much further than the Blaze line did. But it's like, why even have to get rid of it? Yeah, just do both. Tell the authors that hey, now you can. Yeah. Go. You can get a little bit sexier if you want. Mm-hmm. You know, it just. If, if there's a market there, I don't know answer, why you please let us know. Because <laughs> right. people if, are if calling them. Left, right, and center. Because like one question that I have, so one line specifically that I find fascinating is mm-hmm. Harlequin had a gothic line. Mm-hmm. It came out from '83 to '88. Now, I collect Phyllis Whitney's and Victoria Holtz like crazy. And I'm like, most of these books came out in the 50s and 60s, some the 70s. So I'm like, is the 80s too late for this line yeah. to have come out? And is that why oh, wow. it was such a limited run? Or was it intended that the line was going to be a limited run? But yeah. from talking to, you know, from from learning and researching and talking, it's like, they never start something with the intentions of it being a limited run. No. So I'm looking at it like, did was this line did it come out too late was mm-hmm. it timing because mm-hmm. i'm wow. like by the 80s were people reading gothic romances yeah maybe they weren't yep. oh my well of course i'm smiling ear to ear at the mention of victoria holt oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> that'll do it that'll absolutely do it i'm now automatically wondering is she still in print and i'm afraid of what the answer might be i'm afraid mm-hmm. she's not Boy. What, what a horrible thing that would be. eBay's your friend, Steve. eBay. <laughs> yeah, but what about... Yes, yes, my friend. But what about the people wandering into a bookstore? That's the thing. They oh, aren't no. seeing. No. They aren't seeing Victoria no. Holt. They won't see Kathleen Woodowis. They won't see mm-hmm. half these people. No. I, no. That's, that's a little bit of a shame. Not to knock the ladies who are writing romances today, but that's a little bit of a shame. There's it a is. lot there that's, that's worth reading. Reprints would be lovely. And Whitney, Ooh, wait a oh my God, talk Who about wrote a the book, Shana. I know. I'm thinking of, I know Johanna Lindsay, they're reprinting a lot of her stuff. I yeah. feel oh, really? like I've seen a Kathleen. What about Bertrice Small? But maybe, but it. Oh, I don't oh, no. think so. No? no. Just no. gone. And no. see, okay, that's one thing Sarah and I have been talking about a lot too, because we haul a lot from eBay, right? Like mm-hmm. I bought a lot of the old category line recently called Kismets. Mm -hmm. Somebody was selling 24 of them for 29 bucks. And I'm like, who's just throwing these books away? Like they have, they've been out of print for years. Like Mm -hmm. you're, you're not going to ever 
go into a used bookshop maybe and like see one of these. And I was telling Sarah, I was like, I don't feel bad because somebody's literally throwing these away. And I know good luck finding these books mm-hmm. five, yeah. six years from now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one of the, one of the examples where you're actually benefiting from snobbery. <laughs> Cause you can get it. <laughs> no one's thinking you wouldn't you wouldn't ever find a deal like that on science fiction novels from the same period no no not in a million years three times as much money they're they're like that's what i was saying to brie you can go to uh, um what do you call it like garage sales in the summertime back you know when we can do this again and you can pick these up for 10 cents a piece you know get a stack of them you know i'll take the whole box for five bucks and they're happy to give them to you because they want them gone yeah I'll take it. Like, you don't even me. know what you're getting rid of. <laughs> yeah. A couple of years ago, I went up to Vermont to uh, to Mark Richardson's house, and he was telling me the whole time, there's this thing called the Five Colleges Book Sale. They take over a high school, every room of a high school on a weekend, and five different colleges contribute every kind of used book in the world. And he was so mm-hmm. excited about it. He was saying, we got to get up early in the morning. And the night before, we got to make our battle plan of what we're going to see and how we're going to approach this. And I was thinking, oh, come on. It's really that good. And, but I, I was a guest, and his excitement was, I admit, a little infectious. So I just went along with it. And then I saw it, and he was absolutely right. It was incredible. Just incredible. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I found the despised little corner of the of one floor that had romance novels. And there was a whole tabletop of old Signet Regency romances, the exact thing I most like to read, for, I think, 20 cents a piece. Mm-hmm. And I was picking through them. Oh, do I know this one? Oh, do I have this one? Until I had a whole bag of them. And I could kick myself. Mm-hmm. I should. There was a lady that was just sitting there watching those tables. I should have gone to her and say, I'll give you $20 for everything here. All the doubles. No, but it doesn't matter the condition. I'll pay you whatever money. You set a number for me to clear off these tables and I'll do it. And I didn't do that. I should have done that. I should have done that. But And who knows if there will be a $5 book sale again. I missed the chance to do that. Yep. Yep. And she would have said yes. I guarantee. I need to read some signets. And every in oh, the yeah, five just to get rid of them. Now, everywhere you looked, there were those dealers with their little cell phone apps scanning the I, the ISBNs oh. to see if they could maybe make a nickel on eBay. But Sarah's they weren't seen touching. them in the used bookstore. Oh, I hate them so much. I hate them so much. <laughs> Sarah messaged me. What were you at? Like Savers? It's called Savers. Yeah, I was there. at yeah. Like, yeah Savers in the guys US. Going through scanning the books. Yeah. and she's like, and I'm oh like, I'm God. like, get out of my way because you're not reading these. So move your ass. <laughs> sorry i confess i try to be courteous when i'm out in public to just about anybody Mm -hmm. but one time i think it was at a savers i -hmm. saw one of those people you know just filling carts with stuff and scanning it as they went along Mm -hmm. and they were they were right in front of us i was with two friends and uh my friend said oh they couldn't see past me and they said oh is this aisle blocked or something and i said yeah there's pond scum right in front of me and the dealer looked up (laughs) they'd just been referred to as just openly and casually as pawn scum right in public. And then they went right back to scanning because that's mm-hmm. what they are. <laughs> and they know it. So <laughs> yeah, <sighs> drives me nuts. Absolutely <laughs> drives me nuts. And you know, it's not just because a lot of times they'll be very rude. They'll just swipe a whole shelf clear and scan mm-hmm. it in private like these books belong to them. It's not just that. It's also yeah. the contempt they radiate towards other people. It's They're saying, oh, what? 
you actually read these things? How pathetic is that? Yeah. These are here for profit. They're not here for you to read. Yeah. I don't read these things. I don't like books. Mm -hmm. It's the contempt they radiate that bothers mm -hmm. me the most. Oh, I just hate them so much. I, I always hope that the, the app they're tapping is going to give them an electric shock. I know that's not how apps work. <laughs> I, I always wish. I always wish that it were. I wish that were true just in general. I wish I wish that apps could penalize yeah. a whole users just in general. If you're if you're some you know pot bellied late thirties unshaven guy you know in your soiled wife beater in your in your trailer and you're on Tinder and you're swiping left or right, I'd like it if the app would give you a two hundred and twenty volt shock when you swipe on a picture after having thought, is she underaged? I'm not really sure. It could go either way. Swipe. If, if you when you do that, the app should punish you. <laughs> if you, if you there's a question in your mind, then the app should punish you. <laughs> but I I kick myself still for not just buying all of those things. I had a friend once who had I a know. used bookstore. He was the owner of a used bookstore, and he had a policy in big signs saying, "This shop buys your books, but not Harlequin. We don't buy Harlequin." And when I got to know him, I finally asked him, why don't you buy Harlequins? And he said, oh, because I'd never buy anything else. I'd get truckloads of them and sell truckloads of them every month if I if yeah. I had that policy. And I just stared at him. I thought, okay, I kind of mm -hmm. thought that was the point. <laughs> you know? I kind of thought the yeah. point was to sell books. Because <laughs> yeah. he didn't just say that he would buy. He didn't just say people would roll up with thousands of them. He also said people would buy them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That is just... Yeah. It was just missing. I thought you would want to buy. You right. want people you to buy. You know that you're passing up money and you're doing it just for ideological yep. purity. I just, this is just so yep. mystifying. I'm glad there was a, a used bookstore, used bookstore up by us that had a great Harlequin section. And between lockdowns here, <laughs> I went up with Garrett because I wanted to get some books. They were gone. And I said to the guy, I'm like, do you not sell them anymore? And he goes, no. He goes, when we reopened from the last lockdown, he goes, a bunch of people came in and bought me out. He goes, wow. in anticipation of the next lockdown. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. He goes, nope, as soon as I can replenish oh, stock, they'll be back. And I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, like, they're they're the bread and butter for a lot of these little thrift-use bookstores, you know? Yes. Here in the United States, in the Northeast, we used to have a chain called Annie's Book Swap. That was almost all romance. Mm. There were, you could find everything. But it was the, the bread and butter of that store was romances coming and going for yep. sale, for yeah. store credit, for whatnot. Yep. You know, because if you have if you have customers coming in for that, you know perfectly well they're going to buy other things. Oh, absolutely. Repeat customers are, are really worthwhile. I, I ran into that at my bookstore. At one point, I mm -hmm. had once once the, the my customers knew that I was on their side. That I read these books too. Mm -hmm. That there was no condescension, no contempt whatsoever. Then they started to ask normal questions like, "I might not be able to get here on Tuesday when the new ones come in. Could you set aside <laughs> the ones I like? Could you set aside Aww. this, this, and the other thing?" And I would yep. always say yes, absolutely. Uh, a couple of my of mm -hmm. my lady, my lady, because they do little, that now. They do that. Yeah. Well, I at one at that point, one of my store managers came to me and said, "We don't do that." Don't do that. Don't say yes to that. And I said, mm, what are you wow. talking about? 
the space behind mm. the information desk where I work every day is entirely full of books on hold for customers. He said, and he said, yeah, but not these books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I told him. This is a faithful well, person that comes in every right? month. Yeah. Who's certainly going to buy these things? I, I had mm-hmm. I had to tell him, you know, these are books. Those are books. If somebody wants me to put one of these on hold, that's what I'm going to do. If you have an actual authority, mm-hmm. if the owner of this company wants to tell me that I can't do that, you feel free to call him up and have him do that. But uh, otherwise, mm-hmm. I'm, my my philosophy was then what it is now, which is your literary snobbery is not my problem. <laughs> you know, that's something yeah. you're doing to yourself. <laughs> that's the name of this episode. Yeah. You're saying I'm writing yeah. it down. <laughs> Write it down. Bro. That is my motto. I've had so many people yeah. tell me over the decades, how can you let us down by reading these books? Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. How can you let mm-hmm. us down by reading these books? Like it's a zero-sum game. Like somehow if I read and love, I don't even know, Procopius, Suetonius, that somehow I'm harming that if I also love Sabrina Jeffries. And I know that's not the first time her name has come up, but I really like her books. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> it is not a zero-sum game. You can love both. There is no wrong way to read. You can you love can. both. Doesn't detract mm-hmm. from one or the other. Doesn't mean okay, I suddenly have no standards. Do you? Yeah. Do you have a favorite trope? Yes. I do. Yes. And I, I've said on my channel before, I think it's the hardest one to do. I, Sarah, I think I just heard you talk about also how hard it is to do. And that is friends to lovers. It is so mm-hmm. tempting for a writer mm-hmm. to have it just be magic. The friends up until chapter 13 yep. and then their lovers. When in this, yeah. not to get too too indelicate for an all gen, an all ages audience, but that can actually happen. You're never going to meet a duke. Yeah. <laughs> I have met two dukes, and they were both yeah. nine hundred years old. <laughs> but you're never going to meet you're never going to meet a sexy duke with an eight pack ab. That's never going to happen because they don't exist. The, the two dukes yeah. that I have met had eighteen year old sons. And the 18-year-old sons look like George Costanza. So, so it's never going to happen no matter what. But to put this delicately, it is possible to actually experience friends to lovers. That is a romance trope that can actually happen. And it's extremely hard to do. It's extremely hard to do in a convincing way. You know, in most friends to lovers mm-hmm. novels that I have read, romance novels that I have read, it's either the friends part is not convincing or the lover's part is not convincing. And almost always the complexity mm-hmm. of it is never addressed. When there are issues that come up, yeah. it's really hard to do. So I love it most of all because, you know, it's the most heartwarming. It's the most magical. And mm-hmm. it usually means I'm in mm-hmm. the presence of a really good writer if they can pull it off. Yeah. But what about, what about yeah. since you've asked me the question, what about you two? In terms of friends, <laughs> in terms of regular things. Yeah, I love, yeah, I love like childhood friends. Childhood friends, yeah, yeah. Childhood friends. Because I love seeing that, that, um, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, like we have this established relationship that already works. And if we go right. there and it doesn't work, will that ruin that friendship? I, right. I love right. that. And like you right. said, it's, it is realistic. It, two, right. Yeah. <laughs> two strangers in a bar aren't risking anything. No. Whereas, no. 
people who've been friends their whole lives, if they mm-hmm. think it's at risk, then that's that's a real stake. Absolutely. That's what I like to see. Mm-hmm. But but what else? What others? <laughs> I'm also a sucker for siblings' best friend, and I think it's because I was the oldest kid, so it's kind of a fantasy of mine. Like if I would have had an older sibling <laughs> with a hot best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh, I love it. I thought for just yeah. a second that you were going to take us into uncharted territory. But <laughs> <laughs> for just a second that she was going to say, I like sibling romance. <laughs> that is really no, 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 no. That's a completely different <laughs> podcast. Yes, that is a completely different podcast. You'd have to come up with a different title. And I don't for that think we'll see that in category romance. You do. No, and no. Love... When we talk about Harlequin doing no, we're not going to see research, that. They're not going to be doing that. Harlequin taboo. Um... <laughs> ebook only. E-book only, only available yeah. in ebook. Too unlimited. E-book only. Um... Yes, no cover art. The cover art gets us in trouble legally. Legal won't sign off on cover art. So... Yeah, pretty much. I have, and a good I have second mention, chance. A good second chance, yes. Yes. Yeah, there are so many elements involved there. There's so there, much you right? can do with second chance. Right, right. But mm-hmm. all the elements have to be done convincingly. You know, it has mm-hmm. to be a convincing mm-hmm. reason why it didn't work the first time. Yes. It has to be a convincing reason why it works the second time. And you can't have the characters dismissing the fact that it didn't work the first time. No, no, no. And the and recently I've been seeing a lot of second chance, but after a marriage, marriage, divorce, and then another. You know, I mean, what makes you call up your friends again to say, "Hey, I'm getting married"? Yeah, remember the groom the first time? (laughs) 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 I mean, you're asking a lot. But I'm That's seeing a lot, a lot more now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What, okay. What about what about tropes that you wish you saw more of? I know one I right like... off the top of my head, which is older, much older. Yes. Protagonist. Yeah. Yep. That is yeah. largely not done. I understand that's wish fulfillment, so it's, it's understandable that it's not done. But I'd like to see a little more of it. You know, of yeah. people finding well, late. Well, and I just read. Yeah. Yeah. We just read two books see, like, um, where the characters were in their 40s. Yeah. 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 Or like, I'll see like a, it'll be a series. And one of the friends is the like older, wiser friend. Yeah. And that's usually the person that I love the most. And I'm like, can this, can she, can this dame get a book? Yeah. <laughs> she never gets a book. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I know I one book that won't take off. Although, let's just say. I've heard that it was very popular during the AIDS epidemic. There was a hugely popular subterranean trope in gay literature of twin siblings. Really? Really? Passionately in love, twin siblings. And the reason why, when I finally I finally got around to meeting at an old store in Boston, Glad Day Bookstore, which is no longer in operation, I finally got around to meeting someone who finally admitted that under a pen name, he wrote some of those books. And I, he said, they're incredibly popular. Wow. And I asked him, why? Why would they be popular? And you know what he said? Because mm-hmm. they're safe. It was in the middle of the AIDS epidemic. That way, you're safe. Mm. And that just horrified me. That that, 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 that cultural wow. fear was so strong 
that you were willing to break one of society's deepest taboos just to be free of it. Yeah. That was just horrifying to me. I don't think wow. that subgenre That's exists anymore. <laughs> I'd like to think it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I would say no. <laughs> but, you know, but equally weird gay subgenres have taken their place. This this whole gigantic, booming gay subgenre in which there is a third kind of man who can get pregnant. So that so that women are out of the picture entirely. There are alpha males, there are submissive yeah. men, and then there are men who can get pregnant. Those books sell like crazy. I read an I read an interview with one of the one of the authors who said, "I you know I tried my hand at everything, all kinds of books, science fiction, mystery, straight up, straight romance, and these sell like crazy. I could write two of them a month, and they would do well on Amazon." Wow. Wow. That seems really unhealthy to me. Uh, about as unhealthy as twins hooking up just to avoid uh, AIDS. <laughs> I, <it's> so, <laughs> I don't know how we wandered down this alley. <laughs> <laughs> With you, Steve? <laughs> We're in the alley. I know. We went from trope See, I love, I love lesbian women. romance. Yeah? <laughs> I love lesbian romance, and I do yes. want to read some of the older like lesbian pulp fiction mm -hmm. books that i see online but i have heard that they didn't necessarily end with happily ever afters no back in no. the day the pre-stonewall stuff for gay and lesbian usually ends in misery mm, usually wow. it's there usually in addition to being everything else they're cautionary tales which okay. is really insulting that's really yeah. that's really infuriating what are yeah. you cautioning me against you know it's, it's that that whole thing of born this way you don't caution somebody against their own nature. But they were mm -hmm. largely functioning as morality tales. It was, yeah, I'm going to give you the lurid pleasure of reading this thing, but don't expect anybody to come out of it happy. Even if it was own voices, like if it was yeah. a lesbian writer. Wow. Wow, yeah. that's interesting. Well, yeah. for, for a long time, yeah, most gay myself. and lesbian writers hated what they were. And maybe mm. understandably because okay. they were criminalized. They were in fear all the time. All this this sordid behavior that to, yeah. to gay people today in the 21st century, they just have no idea what it was mm -hmm. like, you know, for a 40-something businessman who has a wife, he has children, he's known all along, he's known his whole life what really ignites his passion. He's just had to ignore it, hide it this whole time. Mm -hmm. Maybe he yeah. reaches 45, thinks, is this all there is? Am I never going to get to experience what I actually feel? So he goes to a public restroom in Central Park and just, just hangs around. There's, there's going to be one stall. There's going to be a rumor of one kind of thing. And what happens if in the middle of that encounter, the door bangs open and two cops come in? Your life is over. Your life is completely over. Yeah. In 2021, in America, in most parts of the country, that is not real anymore. You don't, so you don't have to write to it anymore. Mm -hmm. You don't have to, you don't have to dramatize that because, you know, if you live in some benighted town in the Bible Belt in America, you can wait tables, save up for three months, and leave. And the place mm -hmm. you'll be going to is not a town where you're not known. Not just that; it's a town where you being gay is perfectly okay. <laughs> when you know, fifty years ago, yeah. that town didn't just exist. Blend in. Yeah, no, you can just, nobody you can just be yourself. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I have to think that is one of the benefits of social media. I don't praise social media for much, 
But at least with social media, all of those young people out there know there are other people like them. They know that there are legal groups who are willing to fight for them. They know that there are advocacy groups who are willing to stick up for them. They know they're not alone. Mm -hmm. You know, and in Peachtree, Texas, you know, 1,800 people, when you, if you're a 15-year-old boy and you know perfectly well who of your schoolmates you're attracted to, you might easily think you're the only one in the world. And before social media, there would have been no way for you to know otherwise. And now there is a way for you to know yeah. otherwise. I don't praise social media for much. Yeah. But at least there's that. <laughs> but again, boy, the three mm-hmm. of us are terrible, aren't we? we? On staying on topic. We are just, we're just terrible. On staying on topic. <laughs> we talk all day. We just oh, wanted to chat. We just oh, wanted man. to talk. This is bad. <laughs> We're enabling each other. All three of us are enabling each other. That's really bad. <laughs> so, okay, before we before we wrap up, what advice do you have? Because we are seeing people getting more into romance, and we are seeing people picking up older stuff. Mm-hmm. What's your advice? Do you think it's important to read some of the older stuff to kind of appreciate where we are now like you said you kind of see the progression what advice what where are there starting points you think people should start with or just advice for like yeah. picking up older titles you know going with going to it taking it with a grain of salt or mm-hmm. what i i thought sure given how much we've wandered all over the map i thought sure you were going to say before we wrap up what do you think about ufos <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that's what was going to happen. But no. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. Yeah, for sure. You guys can at me and message topic. me. That is wonderful. Somebody but I'm a believer, to. okay? But no, my, my advice to people who were in my own position, I was actually in that position. I know exactly what it feels like. And my advice is take it slow, obey the rules, and don't challenge yourself at first. So you mm-hmm. know already what kinds of things you like take an incremental step away from that. So definitely don't go to, like, for instance, the older stuff where you not only have to take it in, but you have to start making those social justice distinctions. That's an advanced mm-hmm. skill, you know, to go back mm-hmm. to an old Joanna Lindsay and see things that, for instance, the cancer culture would cancel it for and enjoy yeah. it anyway. Mm-hmm. That is a reading skill that's advanced for any genre. That, yeah, that's not something right. that you want to start with if you're trying to learn a new genre. So find mm-hmm. something that's very close to what you already like and take baby steps like that. So if you know mm-hmm. already that you like Jane Austen, then find Georgette Heyer and read her. Mm-hmm. Read a few of her. She's close enough so that you will be getting a little bit of romance of what the genre is like while still staying in comfortable, mm-hmm. excuse me, in comfortable territory. If you're a big fan of historical yeah. fiction. Go to a historical romance that's heavy in atmosphere. So maybe not some of the more contemporary Harlequin romance historicals, which do get a little steamy. Maybe go to an older, a more established historical author that maybe isn't so steamy. Something Mm -hmm. like a Kathleen Mm -hmm. Woodward's, where where you you or or uh, uh, Jean Plady, something like that, where you're you're edging into Mm -hmm. the genre because. The, the thing that a newcomer to the genre wants to learn is the language of the genre. Mm-hmm. 
what what is going on here? Mm -hmm. You learn that language perfectly fine in science fiction or cozy murder mysteries. Have a it's an unwritten mm -hmm. code, but it's a very strict code. You know what's going to happen in a murder mystery and what's not. And romance is the same way. It's the exact same way. It has the genre mm -hmm. has conventions. What you need to do is take baby steps until you start to learn those conventions so they don't bother you anymore. So they don't frighten you or ignite mm -hmm. your insecurities yeah. or anything like that. You want to take it slow. That's what I did. Mm -hmm. And it worked. <laughs> it absolutely worked for me. And I added a whole <laughs> genre to my reading experience. What an amazing mm -hmm. gift for a, a relatively small effort. Mm -hmm. What an amazing thing to have a whole genre that you were ignoring before. I was, in addition to which, just practically speaking, just professionally speaking, I was a worse bookseller when I dismissed that whole genre. I was just, I was worse at my job, especially since 50% of the people who were coming into the store were buying romances and might have yeah. benefited mm -hmm. from, you know. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when you were telling us. I was like, there's, there's nothing better than walking into the bookstore and feeling like you have a friend because they know you're there to get romance and they're not judging you. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's like the best. I, I started trying to be that friend no matter what the book was. I really couldn't extend to business books. And I didn't know anything about all the computer manuals we have. We used to have all those big, chunky computer manuals. Are those even mm -hmm. made anymore? Who would use them <laughs> I think so. when all of it's online? I, I, aside yeah. from stuff like that, where I just was just convention, I was just congenitally unable to be that friend. I tried starting mm -hmm. to be that friend in everything, even children's picture books. Mm -hmm. I, I tried starting to just hook into the enthusiasm of it, to just mm -hmm. add it to my own reading enthusiasm. Well, who wouldn't want to do that? That's one the thing I don't understand yeah. about romance snobs is you can see that intelligent enthusiastic people love this stuff why wouldn't you want to know what that was all about mm -hmm. i don't understand that mm -hmm. but maybe podcasts like this <laughs> will help we're hoping that's what we're hoping to yes. do <laughs> i do my bit okay so one more I question i promised one more <laughs> one more question I promise. is it about big we were we we it's mentioned victoria holt earlier were yeah. you a fan or no Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Admittedly, like we've been discussing, there are problem elements. Mm -hmm. And they get more pronounced as time goes on. But, oh, my, the texture of, of Victoria Holt. I, it was the same thing with MMK, uh, the, the author of The Far Pavilions. I, I used to love her stuff, too. And The Far Pavilions, just put it mildly, I mean, that was a mega bestseller. It was a thousand-page book that hit the New York Times bestseller list and stayed there for two years. But to put it mildly, it has problems today with cultural appropriation and also colonialism. It has at least as many problems mm -hmm. as Gone mm -hmm. with the Wind, but it is an incredible story. Mm -hmm. Just incredible. Uh, and another author that I always bring up to, uh, to Sarah, Kathleen Cohn, uh, Through a Glass Darkly, mm -hmm. a, a big, fat historical <clears throat> novel, that the historical romance that sold like crazy. And has issues. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I forgot the question. <laughs> was it about Sasquatch? <laughs> <laughs> we were chatting Victoria Holt. <laughs> oh, right, Victoria Holt, yes. Victoria Holt, Jean Plady, the, the that old school of, uh, of historical writers, to the limited extent that they weren't all just one woman. I sometimes think that they were mm -hmm. all just one. They were all Victoria Holt. 
just writing under, person, under, yeah. under <laughs> I think sometimes she just wrote 30 books a month under on every category in the world but <laughs> i love them but i wouldn't advise them to somebody trying to get into this genre stone cold i wouldn't advise them at all yeah. my advice to that person would be either stick with what you and, know or go to the harlequin category romance that closest aligns to your own interests so are you a church going mm -hmm, christian yeah. okay there's a harlequin a church going christian who doesn't read romances well, okay there's a harlequin line that will help it will help to introduce you to the genre mm -hmm. of romance just in general are you a supernatural fan mm -hmm. Are you a historical fiction fan? That sort of thing. I, in this case, I would actually suggest category romances because it's very clean, very quick storytelling. There's usually not mm -hmm. a lot of, of front-loaded investment. You can usually, like a Harlequin Presents, is just a good story. You can just pick it up and read it. It'll take you an hour to read, and yeah. it has a happy ending. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It will be, in other words, mm -hmm. a Harlequin Presents. Just go to your bookstore and buy a Harlequin Presents, even though it's got a number on the cover. Even though it's 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 triggering mm -hmm. all your snobbery, just go and buy one of those and read mm -hmm. it. And when you finish, you will have had a very pleasant reading experience. Harlequins aren't trying to change the world. Mm -hmm. They aren't claiming to be Solzhenitsyn. They are very pleasant reading experience mm -hmm. with all sorts of layers worked in once you get mm -hmm. past that. But I I just don't understand yeah. readers who say, well, I don't have time for just a pleasant reading experience. <laughs> Kind of, kind of masochist army that, you, that, you, that you're turning down the book because you know it's a pleasant reading. Who does that? I'm, I'm offering you a book here that I guarantee you will leave a smile on your face when you're done with minimal mm -hmm. time investment. This is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't get that at all. That's why I love mm -hmm. the old recencies because that's what they are. They are just a purely mm -hmm. pleasant reading experience, except for the one bad mm -hmm. apple here and there where it'll be a bad ending. Where it'll be a you know, a socially conscious bad ending. And I, I, I just, I always want to say to those authors, you know, I know your heart's in the right place, but good. You're fun at parties, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> so the next time that you come on, I think we should have, we should read a book together. Oh, Let's goodness, read yes. something. Oh, and you come back. You pick, you even get to pick. Yeah, you get to pick. I know what it would be. I know exactly what it would be. I've mentioned her name so many times. She's probably taking out a restraining order against me. I would recommend Project Duchess. <laughs> Project Duchess by Sabrina Jeffries. Okay. That, that would okay. be my pick. It is such okay. a wonderful book. Just such a wonderful book. I, I mean, I, I take off so on Project Duchess. So you've read Project. it before. Oh, it has to be something I haven't read? Oh, really? Let's read something you haven't read. There's nothing. Oh, there, there is nothing. <laughs> I know, right? No, Never mind. But there is. Okay. Yeah, there is. A suggestion makes itself natural just because of this podcast. Let's pick a category romance. Mm. Yeah. That's coming of course. Let's, of course. let's say We'll okay, look ahead. Well, okay, let's say we're gonna pick a category romance, a historical romance for Harlequin Historicals in June. Okay. Now okay. should we pick June. the same June release? Okay. Or should we each pick a category romance for June a different one? Maybe that. Oh, I like that. Challenges on. That might be fun. Category. And so, what yep. we could do now that I've that I've fully taken over and I'm mansplaining your podcast, <laughs> what we could do? Maybe I like this could, idea though. We could each pick a different category romance for Harlequin for June, 
We could each read one yeah. book in that category, and then you two could work your insider magic to get that editor on once we're done. So we could finish out the month talking to the editors yeah. from those lines. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we have the we have the it. we have the historical editor coming out in June. Right, and yeah. the historical editor that probably knows the other editors. Huh? Mm. Maybe we could get other well, editors on to we'll talk see. about that line after we've talked about individual books. So if we do that, <laughs> who gets which category? <laughs> you want historical, I bet. No, you can have no I want how it presents. Okay, you get. Well, you want the present. Okay. Yeah. Oh, June, I'll take, I love it. I'll I, else I want Steve to read a present. Right. I'll, yes. I'll do a Harlequin Presents for June. So what about you two? Shit, that's the month Dare ends, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, this is because okay. the June books are currently on the Harlequin website. Oh, crap. Okay. Well, you can do the last Which one do you want? You could say farewell. Yeah, do the final today. one, Brie. I'll do the final Dare. Do the final Bree one. Brie will do the final Dare and say goodbye to it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then when we get when we get that editor on, it can the editor can be we can mute their feed and just yell at them the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking? You're ruining my life. Like it wasn't Thanks our for coming we on the podcast. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's gonna so be me. Now, I'm gonna be like you? Rose on Titanic. I'm gonna be like, come back, come back. Hmm? Rose on Titanic. <laughs> Which one are you going to do, Sarah? Oh, gosh. Come on, Sarah, Bri, you should know me by now. The intrigue, intrigue. or intrigue okay. or romantic suspense. Okay. I'll pick one of them. Okay. All right. All right. So, so that's what we'll do. dare intrigue. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're going to do one from those three categories. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. All right. Well, I have to okay. look at the Harlequin website. Yes. And see which one I like. I'm hoping yep. that there's a Harlequin Presents in June. There's one right now set in Venice. I'm hoping in June there's another one set in Venice. That would be oh, great. Oh, Cinderella's, uh, yeah. Cinderella's Venice, some, Venetian something or Night other. Venice. Has a pair of them. I have oh, it, yeah. Amanda, Amanda, I saw that in Amanda's uh, book comes out in June. And her her new series, all has ha- um, Amanda Cinelli, um, all of her heroines are like neurodiverse. And the first book comes out in June. Yep. And I've it's never fantastic. read it. Is she in Harlequin yeah. Presents? She's Harlequin Presents. Yeah, she's fairly new. I've read it, so I've already done the work. you got to pick somebody else. (laughs) I'm going to look at the website. website. I I can't get those early, right? Yes, you can. Um, If you order them off of the Harlequin website, you can get them early. And there's a sale today, Steve. Buy three, get three free. (laughs) Okay, but can I do that for June books? Yes. The Harlequin website releases a month early. So you can buy oh. them from that website only a month for, okay. for the month early. It, the yeah. two of you are being so patient with me. I'm just, <laughs> I just fine. realized I'm such, a book re- I'm such a book reviewing prima donna that my first question is, can I get an advanced copy? <laughs> How am I yeah. supposed to read this if I don't get it before? Can someone to me for free, please? <laughs> I know. Right. Can you please send this to me for free? <laughs> it's such a book so reviewing thing. Do. Sorry. <laughs> what we will do is we will all figure out our titles and we will post them online yes. so that if anyone is listening, if you want to join in with yes. us, if you want to read one, if you want to read all three, yes. join in and we will be back. We'll record probably what the end of June. I say the end of June. Our, our thoughts and the talks, you know, the takes on the book. Sounds so good. We'll Great. let you guys know. So we're going to yes. raise the profile of category romances in the most honest way possible by reading them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go on the website and take advantage of the sale. 
I only want I only <laughs> one holocron present for June, but I have a feeling I'll buy more than one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll make sure, listeners, that you check the, the show notes. We will have links to where you can follow Steve. Yes. Keep up with his wonderful YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Although why they'd want to after this, I don't know. <laughs> 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 I, I, I can imagine the whole oh audience saying, well, okay, the other two I like, but this guy, I've heard enough of him. <laughs> <laughs> so all of his information will be in the show notes and he will be back. This is his first appearance, appearance on the podcast, mm-hmm. but he will be back. Oh, I want to be <laughs> more than once. Yes, you guys, we promise. So. <laughs> <laughs> and Sarah and I will talk to you in our next episode. Bye.